Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello listeners and welcome to a new series of Headstrong. This is a podcast hosted by me, Louis Strong. I am an actor and producer. I started Headstrong because I wanted to create a platform where I could talk to people in the public eye about their lives and their careers. But ultimately, I wanted to talk to them about their vulnerabilities to help you, the listener, understand what it means to be headstrong, or at least what I believe it to mean. And to me, it means to believe in yourself, to talk about your vulnerabilities, and reinforce your self-worth. As I said, this is a brand new series of Headstrong. We've had three series to date, and whilst they have all been incredible in their own right, the guests on this series are even bigger and even better, but still with some amazing stories. On today's episode of Headstrong is the wonderful actor Jane Seymour. No, not Henry VIII's wife, no. This is the actor Jane Seymour, known for Dr. Quinn, Live and Let Die, The Kaminsky Method, Wedding Crashes, and coming up, a number of projects that Jane is working on. We talked about her career, how she started in the industry, a few challenging issues, as well as why 2020 was possibly the most demanding and challenging working year of her life. I hope you enjoy this episode. Jane, thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk to me today on Headstrong. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, I'm seriously excited to talk to you. Obviously, we met out on the set of Glow and Darkness, uh, which is a Spanish production. But I, there were some questions left unsaid, considering we only spent a week together. So I'm going <laughs> to take this opportunity to hopefully uh, ask you a few more questions, if that's all right. Okay. 
So for anyone who, who doesn't know, Glow in Darkness is a, uh, a period drama about Richard the Lionheart, Francis of Assisi in that historical period. And we, we had great fun that week. Uh, well, I certainly did. Uh, and you were yes. out there a little longer than I was. Uh, there's some fantastic costumes, locations on this production. And of course, it's a European production as well. How have you found the show? Um, gosh, it, it's, I would say, hugely ambitious. <laughs> um, it's huge. You know, when, when I first started, I think it was maybe almost a year ago, uh, it was pre-COVID and then COVID came into effect. So, you know, a, a lot of uh, locations had to be changed and, and filming had to be cancelled and rearranged. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's been pretty amazing that they were able to keep shooting during this whole pandemic. And uh, when I started it, I think it was 15 hours long. Now it, it, I'm told it's 45 hours long. So I, all I can tell you is I'm playing a part in it and um, I'm not in the whole thing. But I mean, 45 episodes, I didn't even know that. That's seriously ambitious, but exciting. Uh, yeah. Yes, well, you, so you can see that the lighting cameraman is very famous. Uh, Jose Luis Al- Alcane, I think is his name. Yes. He's, uh, yeah, he's amazing. And uh, yes, and you were great. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm learning from the best. No, uh, hardly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, no, we had some good fun out there. Uh, who, so for the listener, who are you playing, Jane? I'm playing Eleanor of Aquitaine, um, who managed to live to the ripe old age of 80 at a time when most people were dead by 40. Yeah. You know? Uh, so she really um, outlived most people. She managed to be Queen of England and Queen of France. She also, in her own right, owned more of France than the King of France. She owned the what they called Aquitaine, which was a huge, huge part of France. Um, and uh, I think she had 10 children, uh, one of whom was uh, Richard the Lionheart, who became a king, and then uh, King John, John Lackland, as they called him. Um, and, uh, so, and I think she had an, a number of other children who became either uh, princesses or, or queens or something, but the, the two sons are the ones that are most famous. Yeah, absolutely. And have you, have you wrapped now completely or are you heading out again? No, no, no I, I still have uh, another three weeks to do in, um, January and February. Um, I've got another 11 days work actually. Oh, great. That's really exciting. Because I actually don't even know anything about any release uh, information. Although you did do a press day out there, didn't you? Yes. Uh, none of us are any the wiser. <laughs> and how, how does it differ from your vast array of credits, um, a European production to that of an American or, or English production? Because I, I have experienced them, but not in, not in the, the number that you have. Well, um, you know, th- this is our very different because it's a Spanish production and um, they have all different kinds of um, rules and ways of, you know, doing things. And I, I think what makes it amazing is, is, you know, the, the quality of the, um, like the lighting and the, and the crews are amazing. And the, the, um, a lot of the sets are extraordinary. And of course they are real, you know, and in America, most things weren't, you know, we're only built like 250 years ago and everything there is, was built actually in 10 or 1100. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that would be the major difference, yeah. 
Yeah, I've got to say, we've been very lucky that we were able to, to be working during such a, an uncertain time. But you yeah. yourself, more so than probably anyone to be walking the planet, have found yourself exceptionally busy this year. I, and that is, you know, know that's fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I can't I believe have, it. I, I can't believe it either. You know, everyone else I know is, is you know, hiding in place and uh, afraid to go out the, the back door or the front door or even in the garden. And uh, I've been to Australia where I starred in a movie called Ruby's Choice. Um, I was in Sydney. I did my two weeks quarantine first, which was pretty tough and pretty wild. It's, you know, you really are kind of, a prisoner in your hotel room, but look at Australia and New Zealand, how brilliantly they've done. So, you know, I was very happy to, uh, to do it. Um, I did, it was a wonderful role. I played a woman who has Alzheimer's and uh, about, you know, how she impacts her entire family, something that you'd think would be the saddest thing on the planet. She ends up just, you know, really changing the lives in a, in a very positive way of every member of her family everyone she comes into contact with. So that was kind of cool to do. It's a small feature. And then I did um, Glow in Darkness. Again, everyone said, you know, you, you can't go on an airplane, you'll get COVID. And I went, no. <laughs> I went to the airport, there was no one there. I got to the airplane, there was no one there. I spoke to the people on the airplane and they said that most of these airplanes now are carrying cargo because uh, so few people are traveling. And, and um, indeed, I had special dispensation to come to um, Madrid, uh, to Spain, because, uh, you know, they're not letting, letting Americans in. I think they let Denise in, Denise <laughs> Richards, but um, I counted as a Brit, so uh, that was good. That was lucky. I mean, just going back to that um, two weeks in Sydney, because I don't know if anyone who's listening doesn't know about it. They literally take you from the airport, chaperone you to a hotel, and you're locked in for two weeks, aren't you? How was that experience? How tough was that? Mentally? It was pretty tough. It was pretty tough because no one really actually tells you what, what it's like. I mean, you are marched off the airplane almost one at a time. Um, and then you're marched here, there and everywhere where temperatures are taken and, and forms are filled in and it's the army and it's the police and everyone's got guns and nurses in hazmat suits. And, um, and then you sort of grab all your own luggage, which for me is quite tough because I'm not very strong. And of course I had enough clothes there for not only my costumes, which I brought with me, but also enough for five weeks. And, and then um, they put you in a bus and then um, they won't tell you where you're going. They don't tell you what hotel. You can't tell anyone anything. Then they process you literally like a prisoner almost, put you in a room. Uh, no key, of course. You're not allowed to leave for two weeks. And then they test you, you know, all the time. Wow. And, and we know from personal experience that they're not the most comfortable of tests. <laughs> Oh, my goodness me. I, I, I thought someone had rearranged my brains and, and, and you know, taken the, the membranes out between my, my, my nasal passage and my brain. I, I, it was frightening. Some people are rougher than others. We had yeah. one particularly 
very, very, we have a nurse, we had a nurse ratchet in there one day. Yeah. <laughs> that, yes. I, I wasn't the only one with a, you know, three hour headache. So. No, I, th- I think we were all in a similar position, but I mean, yeah. for those two weeks in particular, it's worth noting that COVID's probably thrown the communication side of things into perspective. Um, now that we're not allowed to spend as much time with people face to face, how important have you found that, um, not being able to see your kids, um, and, you know, having to spend more time probably on, on FaceTime and, and the likes of that. Um, actually, I found it um, in some ways quite wonderful because I've been having very long, meaningful conversations with people that I would never have had time to have. Um, I speak to my family in England almost every, you know, pretty much every day. Um, my grandchildren have found some app thing where they contact me at a moment's notice and we play games together and talk and draw and you know and uh, do silly things so I, I've actually you know connected with them I've got more of their attention because they love being able to do that on zoom and um, because I live out by the ocean and people can come outside um, you know I one of my family actually lives here one of my sons and the other one's been working for me, so he's been in and out. So my bubble of family, I have seen. Uh, but in the beginning, sorry, in the beginning, it was hard, you know, not to be able to run up to the grandchildren and give them big hugs, you know. I know. <laughs> and also, we've not been massive fans of the masks, but I suppose we've got to accessorize them as best we can. Um, I, yes, I came up with my own mask accessories, which I sold for um, COVID charities, and they sold out immediately. I had one called Ride the Wave. Um, with actually this image on it, which is, um, I'm also a painter and designer and I do sculptures, but this is like two open hearts, if you can see it. Yeah, it's lovely. Two open hearts, which is my symbol um, in a wave design, like a yin-yang. And uh, the idea is um, that in life, you know, there's lots of challenges and and wherever and however you're born, you don't choose that, but... It's almost like you're in a body of water going in a direction. Then there's the woohoo moment when you, you know, make the team get the part, win the prize, have first kiss, fall in love, whatever it is. And then, <laughs> oh, no, it's not going to stay there. And then, you know, it can crash, hurt. And, but if you keep going, you, you meet new opportunities, new people, new experiences, and you create a new wave. So that's, I thought, was very pertinent to what we're all doing now with the pandemic you know we're not going back to something we have a new normal and we now know more than ever that we can't take a moment of our lives for granted absolutely and well as we know as we briefly touched on there that your your life has been so incredibly busy what is it that wants you wants you to stay busy is what is it inside (laughs) you? your motivation to be doing your designing your painting your acting your charity work what is that 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 inspiration well Okay, in terms of acting this year, great roles. Um, And then the opportunity uh, to work with Robert De Niro and Chris Walken and Cheech Marin in uh, War With Grandpa. The chance to work with Kat Denning and Malin Ackerman and do um, that movie. Um, I just finished doing the Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas and Lisa Edelstein, amazing people. And then um, go to go and do another show. or younger, which are going to shoot in New York. But the thing is, I, I really enjoy acting, as crazy as it may sound. Uh, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> yeah, and, I love it. Um, when it's good, it's very, very good. And, and when it has its moments, it has its moments. But I, I do enjoy uh, creating different characters. It's what I love. 
Um, I like being creating, okay? Let's get it down. I like creating. And I also paint. That's a passion of mine. That's what I did, actually, in quarantine in Australia. I painted and got this sort of blue tack stuff and stuck all my, my little paintings on the bare walls. Um, and uh, when it comes to philanthropy, um, I've done that my whole life. I, I, I think the more you give and the more you help others, the more you help yourself. The, you know, the greater joy. I don't think there's any greater joy than knowing that somehow you manifested um, some kind of change for somebody that needed help, whether it, it's just listen, you know, literally listening to someone talk about what they're dealing with or whether it's uh, raising money for organizations or feeding people or, you know, um, uh, rescuing people who've been abused. I mean, I, I can think there's so many um, extraordinary things that need to be done right now, including saving our planet. And um, and then dealing with this pandemic. So I, I just, you know, I, I'm not political. Um, I like to be issue driven. Absolutely. And also you mentioned that the, the war with grandpa, which was yeah. uh, the lead role of, of Robert De Niro. And also the rest of the cast was just completely stellar. I mean, through, you've had an incredible career up to this point, but do you still pinch yourself when you're doing films like that and go, wow, I'm, I'm, st- I'm still succeeding at the highest of levels doing these absolutely awesome films with some of the best people in the world at the best of their jobs. I, I pinch myself every day that I'm alive and, and, and healthy and happy and, you know, have so many amazing things, but yes, it, it um, it's very exciting to, to work with some of these greats, you know, even in, in their later years and my later years, um, you know, to have a career and to work as consistently as I am right now at my age is unusual. Uh, I mean, there are a few of us who are lucky enough to do that. And um, I, I just, I think I've been, you know, particularly fortunate recently. There's some great roles I have coming up. I've been offered so many amazing things. I, um, I don't know why. You know, I, you know, they used to say that an actress's career was sort of um, on the wane and, you know, from the time you're 40. But when I was 40, I got Dr. Quinn. So I think I just break the rules. There was also a rule way, way back when where they said you couldn't do uh, movies, theater, television, and radio. You had to do one or the other. And uh, I remember uh, one week in, I was in New York opening in Amadeus with uh, Sir Ian McKellen and Tim Curry in the original cast of Amadeus. East of Eden came out. Um, which was a great, great role for me, miniseries, and the movie with uh, Christopher Reeves, Somewhere in Time. And that was all in one week. So I went, and then I thought, why not have a baby? <laughs> Only a crazy person, you know, hits, hits a home run like that and then decides to get pregnant. But I did that too. So there you go. I'm a little crazy. Taking <laughs> all the boxes at once. I mean, of course. Yes, the, the, yes. Let's, what, up, what other box can we tick off here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's still a few more to tick, I have no doubt. Well, I, I, you know, for me, I'm constantly learning and, you know, joking aside, you know, I, I tend to uh, use a lot of, as you know, self-depreciating humor that gets um, misinterpreted constantly. But uh, I, I learn every day. I mean, that's what life's about. I think you, you're constantly learning and uh, I'm very open-minded and I'm, I'm, I'm always game to try something new and, um, you know, I, I feel that not trying would be the failure. 
Absolutely. So are you, do, you, do you feel very grounded in yourself then? Because of course, for, for an, somebody who's looking in on the creative industries, in particular film and TV work, they might see people who are in those, those productions and particularly those that take part as, you know, um, have some sort of status and power. But, you know, at the end of the day, everybody is just a, an individual getting on with their lives and you are just living your life, but it's in a, just a different line of work. How do you feel about that? Um, well, you know, it's all my kids have ever known. So people, you know, sometimes say, what's it like to have your mother as your mother? And I think, it's, that's the only mother I know. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> this is normal for me. So, um, you know, working like this and having the life that I have, um, this has been, you know, changing over the years, but this has been my normal. This is what I've known since I started working professionally when I was 13. Um, and sort of, you know, full-time pretty much from the time I was 17. So uh, I think I, I have a sort of um, a work ethic that some people um, don't like, you know, for themselves. They don't, you know, some people like to do a nine-to-five and they mm. really, they work to play. I, my work is my play. Does that make any sense? Definitely, because you yeah. enjoy your work so much that you every day feels yeah. like you're not working. Exactly. And, and, you know, the big secret is I'd probably pay for the privilege, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do pay for the privilege, actually, but uh, sometimes. Um, but, you know, I also enjoy writing, producing, um, public speaking, um, dancing. Oh, I love to dance. Um, I love uh, teaching. I love... I, I've never tried directing officially, but on many occasions I've been on movies where, you know, someone's having a, a, a struggling with the scene or something and they've asked me for some advice and I've um, sort of tried to help. And, and in helping them, I've realized how much I enjoy doing that too. So, you know, one day I, I think I would love to direct. What, what, what would it be? A film, TV, period, Probably anything anyone would let me do. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been trying to direct my family and and uh, for years. <laughs> no, uh, I think, uh, I think when you've been in the business as long as I have, um, and you can actually look at it from the inside and you can look at it from the outside. And and I've worked, as I said, as a producer as well, and sat behind the monitors and watched, you know, what we were looking for, what we were trying to get with the director and, and watching, you know, watching it from both sides, watching it in the editing room, watching it in, in um, marketing and watching it, you know, in, in, in working on the script and, um, and sort of looking at the whole big picture. And, and I really like being a part of the big picture, um, not, not just coming in and doing two days or, you know, a few weeks. Yeah, definitely. If I can just rewind and uh, maybe yeah. we can take a chance to have a look at the start of your career briefly. Okay. You, you'd already had an immense start before you'd uh, attained the role in Live and Let Die. Um, and how do you reminisce on this opportunity? Because that is such an important role to take on when James Bond and 007 and particularly alongside Roger Moore, you know, it's going to be so iconic. Did you at the time, because you were still, you know, extremely young, did, did, were, you still taking, were you anxious taking on that role and, and knowing oh, what you, was expected of you? 
Uh, I had no idea what was expected of me. I, I'd, you know, seen um, Goldfinger, I think, or you know, some, you know, something that Sean Connery had done, and and I'd watched um, Roger Moore and The Saint, and I was much younger than him, and I'm, I'm I was twenty years old. I was very green, you know. Some people are. You know, a very grown up at 13. I, I was probably 13 at 20. I was very, very timid. And when I look at myself, I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking in a very high voice. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. You know, and I just like, oh, God, I cringe. Uh, but, and I was straight out of, you know, drama school pretty much close to. Um, uh, but it was such a big machine, you know. It was such a big thing. And, and the travel involved. I went to New Orleans. I'd never been to America. I went to Jamaica. I'd never been there. I stayed in hotels. I never stayed in hotels. We couldn't, didn't afford hotels, you know. I, I, I was in restaurants all the time. I uh, had all my costumes made in triplicate. They were making my shoes and my underwear. I mean, like, really? This was unbelievable. And um, I remember um, going on set the first day and uh, the first thing that the producer said to me when he saw me was, he said, what the hell do you look like? And I went, oh, presumably really? what you wanted me to look like. And he said, he said, you look terrible. You look better last night by the pool. You know, where's, where's your suitcase? Where's your clothes? And they literally ransacked my little suitcase and uh, re remade all my costumes and things. And uh, from that day on, I was 20 years old. Every movie I've ever been on, I bring costumes, wardrobe, makeup, and hair pieces or wigs with me, just in case. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I had no idea. That's fascinating. Yes. Well, of course, on, on, on uh, Glow and Darkness, I uh, brought wigs. Yeah. yeah. Thank oh, you. wow. And so at that time, that, that particular role as well, I think it would be fair to say that I don't think it would be, uh, it'd be possible to probably create such a, a role in the modern era uh, you know, with such a sexualized, um, well, particularly in that era, I would say the 70s and the 80s, some of the, the, the roles that were written, I think are a bit far, you know, a bit, I don't want to say backwards, but um, wouldn't, wouldn't suit in the modern day, we'll put it that way. And particularly with the Me yeah. Too movement and everything like that. How important do you find it now to use your platform uh, to spread uh, messages, um, particularly upon reflection of, you know, your own personal experiences as well with, that, with the producer in 1972. Right, right. Um, well, you know, I would never have spoken about it except, you know, when, when it was first discussed, you know, the whole kind of Me Too thing. And obviously people have had far, far worse experiences than me. I just felt that, um, and I've discovered it's not just in our industry, you know, I've, I've mm. spoken to so many lawyers and businesswomen and everything. And, and of course, men. I mean, it happens to men. I'm sure you know um, that it's really about power. And I, I just felt that um, you know, I had made a choice. Um, it was uh, a choice I'm very glad I made. And I, I only really sort of told the story because the people involved were no longer with us. So, and uh, the person who, who, you know, I was, I was talking about, you know, was famous for, for this kind of behavior. So it wasn't one-off. And um, I really was kind of pointing out that um, I was not protected by the people that were supposed to protect me. In my case, my agent. 
and you know fellow producers and and they were men and the, and they you know, when I I lied and said oh I hadn't gone they all went oh thank goodness you didn't because you know it would not necessarily have worked out to your advantage because you would have had to make choices but so good you never went so it's the only reason I ever said you know told my story but um, I think um, you know talking about you know back in the day of Bond I mean. I mean, the, the world changes all the time, the way people, you know, what, what's politically correct now compared to what was politically correct then is just, it's completely different, you know. Completely. And, and, you know, and women haven't even had the vote for that long, let's face it. You know, I mean, it's crazy, all the things that your generation take for granted. I mean, I can tell you that when I went to school, and we did a subject. We had to run to the public library to get the only three books they had. And the rest of the class never got the book. Couldn't go online. That's yeah, madness, isn't it? Right? I mean, you, honestly, to compare then to now, it, you can't. Oh, uh, but, it's, it's impossible to compare them. But, um, and, it's and just point, upon reflection. And pointless, and pointless uh, really. I yeah. mean, and I think we always go really far in one direction. And mm. then eventually things sort of even out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's just important that, and I'm really pleased that you did feel that you were able to take the opportunity to then, you know, use your your empowerment to tell that story to hopefully um, make that uh, a step in the right direction and continue to make that change and for for the positive as well. Yes, I mean, uh, I, I suppose my, the only thing I was saying was um, you have a choice. Definitely. And if you don't have a choice, that that's, uh, needs to be reported. <laughs> yes, well, uh, we can both agree. Um, there's no <laughs> doubt that the, um, the, 00, the 007 and James Bond franchise is you know, globally well-known. But there has been debate in, in pop culture for some time uh, and conversation regarding a, a black Bond or a female Bond. Where do you stand on this with the, um, you know, the history of the books and, and indeed the films? Um, I stand on that I believe Barbara Broccoli has always picked the right combination for the right time. You know, I, I, I always tell people the bond of today is the bond of today. I mean, back in the day when I did it, they were actual books that Ian Fleming had actually written <laughs> yeah, quite. to some degree. And then I remember Roger Moore saying to me, oh, you know, nowadays what we do is we all decide where we want to go on holiday. And that's where we decide to set the next Bond film. I went, oh, really? That's how you do it? Went, yep, that's how we do it. Went, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, they changed everything around, you know. I mean, um, my character, I think, was um, supposed to be a woman of color. Um, and um, as my father pointed out, she was supposed to be dragged um, behind a boat on a coral reef, which uh, my father being a doctor told me would be far too dangerous. And I had to make sure they didn't do that to me. But no, I mean, joking aside, when I joke, I always get into trouble and get misquoted. But um, I, I just, uh, I think, you know, Bond can be whatever Barbara thinks Bond should be. And she usually, you know, is definitely in tune with um, the generation that she's creating a Bond for. Definitely. I, I think, yeah, I think that's very, very truthful and, and correct opinion, to be fair. Now we've looked at that, that Bond era, but you, throughout your career as well, you've expressed romance on screen and stage. Um, and you've had a lot of um, 
on-screen partners. Who would you say that you've um, felt um, as your on-screen partner you've had the most, ke- you know, the best chemistry with and the, the most enjoyment out of? Well, uh, two people. I would say the late Chris Reeve. Um, we did this beautiful movie, Somewhere in Time. We were both single at the time. We fell madly in love, and, and uh, I think you can see it on screen. Um, and, uh, and Joe Lando and I, you know, we, we uh, did the pilot and uh, um, quite famously, you know, we again, we were single. We, we fell madly in love and everything was wonderful until um, we broke up just before they picked up, picked up the series. And so we spent six or seven years working together, not as a couple, but playing a couple. So, um, but, you know, we've gone on to become the closest friends um, to one another and uh, our families have all grown up together and um, his wife and, you know, my partner or husband, we've, you know, we've all been very close and all our kids. So he's like family. So I would say those two men. That's great. I really, what was, and what about the best on-screen kiss? Uh, they, I think they tie for, they tie evenly. Um, and, uh, Yes, you know, on and off screen, I'd say. We we, we got to practice. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you think has been your most challenging role to date as well? Because you've played some incredible roles and been acknowledged for winning multiple awards as well uh, throughout your life. And in in fact, you've, you know, you've cemented your place in Hollywood quite literally on the, uh, the, (laughs) the wall, uh, the, uh, the um, Hollywood Boulevard. So what, but what would you say is your, you know, your most challenging role, but probably the one you thrived in most? You see, that's really hard too because it's almost like asking which one of my children I love the most. You know, oh, I but know, I know it's a horrible I'd say, question. Um, nine months of working all over Europe uh, depicting World War Two in the thirty-two hour miniseries War and Remembrance, playing Natalie Jastrow. I think that was pretty huge. Um, I was working with John Sir John Gielgud, which was amazing. And uh, we were filming in Auschwitz and Birkenau, and and we were reenacting World War II so graphically and so realistically that it was minus 20 degrees. I was trudging in the snow, wearing a, the, the striped pajama thing. I you know, had heads shaved and um, I starved myself so I'd be emaciated enough for the character. I, and, and of course, my parents had survived World War II and we'd lost a number of relatives in, um, in the camp. So I... Um, it, it was more than acting for me. It, it was, um, gosh, a, a huge experience. I would, wouldn't just say, cathartic's not really the word for it. It was an immersion in something I had read about, heard about, and that my parents had experienced to some degree. So it was, um, it was more, much more than acting. Yeah, as you say, it sounds like it was an immense experience, a life experience. Not to, you yeah. know, I've never even been to some of those places. And obviously, I feel like everyone should, you know, deserves and needs to go to these places to actually understand a little bit more about the history. But it's even more relevant for you, um, considering your history and, and your, your family and your parents. Yes, actually, the most interesting thing was that when we finally did the publicity on it, um, I couldn't believe it. There were young people who believed that it was all a lie and it never happened. There are people who actually believe the Holocaust never happened. And, and when I had experienced what I did acting in it, 
And alongside me would be real survivors, you know, with the tattoos and with the, the traumas and, and who'd survived and, and dropped everything to come back and make sure that the story was told so this would never happen again. Um, that was unbelievable to me. And, and um, so, you know, sometimes you make, you make a story and you're just really proud to have been part of it because you feel it's important. And it's through drama and through television, through film, that you can get through to people. You know, when you give them facts and numbers and, you know, this happened, that happened in this place and those dates, it's never as meaningful as when you actually follow characters that you can identify with on this journey and you you find yourself being them, you know, imagining you're them and, and going through these experiences. So I think, you know, things like that, when I get to do that kind of material, that, that's always the most exciting to me. Doing anything that's, that's real is very exciting to me. Well, as you say, you, you fully immerse yourself in any role you take on. I mean, there you go. You knew all the history of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And, you know, I, I, sh- I sh- probably should have known it, but I, I don't. You, you had to learn a song. <laughs> I, I, did ha- I did have to learn a song. And, oh, well, we'll, we'll wait we to see that. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I learned a bit about Eleanor of Aquitaine. I, I started reading all these books on her. And, um, you know, I only get to play her in her later years. I play her in her 70s and until she dies at 80. So with a, you know, with a flashback sequence. But, um, um, but you know, I, it, it, it is so wonderful when you play these characters because you actually get to sort of walk in history to some degree. I, I played um, Marie Antoinette in the French Revolution and actually was in Versailles with my actual real children playing the royal children and was, you know, there were real candles and we were doing minuets and, were, and we were shooting it in two languages. I was in France speaking French as a French queen. I went, you know what, this is pretty darn cool. <laughs> that is incredible. And particularly to share it with your kids, that is so cool. And also, well, you're fluent in, many, in French anyway, aren't you? Uh, pretty only because of that film, because yeah. my agent omitted to mention to me that I was playing it in two languages. <laughs> I think he, he must have heard me say uh, order in a French restaurant once or something. I don't know why he thought I could speak French, but mercifully I could at the end of the day. I, I did speak French and uh, I do speak French now. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about there about fully immersing yourself and the the idea that you know and on as particularly in the on-screen romances as well and there's always often this depiction that they they're this happily ever after kind of scenario but i mean as we as we know in in life as is um as is life that you know love is not always you know the easiest path uh, how, how have you nav- navigated your life through love? What is it that you look for in a partner specifically? And I mean, I know that that varies at different points in your life and career, but what, is the, what are the core, the core traits that you look for in a partner? You know, I think you, you put the, you know, you, you put, took the words out of my mouth. I mean, there are different times in your life where you look for different things. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's sort of highly romantic, romantic love when you're very young and, exciting and different and you know and um and you feel like a grown-up and all of that and then uh you know i back in my day people didn't live together they got they waited and then they got married and they you know they did things in a in a completely differently so for me to even mention to you what it was like in the days of the dinosaurs um you you can't imagine um even your parents are probably not as old um so 
you know, back in the day, I think if you wanted to have a relationship, you got married. So you got married too young, which is what I did. Um, and um, I really married, you know, two men then who became and still are my best friends. Um, and we're, they're kind of like brothers and I'm like their sister and we're all very, very close. But you see, I, I don't actually regret any of the relationships I've ever had in my life. I feel that I've learned a lot from all of them and I've had the opportunity to love and be loved. And, you know, many people never have that at all. So, you know, I, 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 I don't feel I have to box anything into, into a box. Yeah, I really like your your kind of attitude towards it, that everything that you have experienced is a lesson for growth. And as you say, you're learning every single day. So every single day is a lesson to improve oneself and the relationships that you embark on. And speaking mm. of which, this leads me on to uh, your sisters, who are both chefs, I do believe. Well, um, they're, not, they're not professional chefs. I, I, you must have misheard me. No, they, are, they love creating food. As do and, you. And, and um, they are brilliant at it and uh, to be perfectly honest uh, it's really fun because i will take them to a fancy restaurant that they've already researched they will have already researched the entire menu and the <laughs> and the deal within the entire family because all the cousins uh, cook as well brilliantly is um that they are going to learn something from tasting something at the restaurant and then they're going to analyze what the ingredients were and then make it even better at home so and then once they made it even better at home, they then write it out for me and, and send me the recipe. And then I try and do it here. But um, we're all foodies. Um, and that is sort of the family passion. You, all, all, all three of you are quite close, aren't you, in age particularly? Um, Very, yeah. Well, what was that like growing up? My father was a doctor at the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. My mother was, um, was not a trained nurse. She was a, like a Red Cross volunteer. Yes. She, did, she actually ran um, a, a company from our little tiny house, uh, supplying oh. wine, spirits and tobaccos to major embassies in London. No one knew that she was just a, you know, a Dutch housewife in a little tiny semi-detached. Well, I'm sure she did well to supplying to the embassies with said... said uh... <laughs> hopefully I, I we never saw any money but um, hopefully <laughs> were you do you, are you still incredibly close with your sisters in terms of the support that you give each other very very much so i'm i'm very blessed my sisters i'm the oldest um sally's the middle one annie's the youngest there's a year and four months between each of us wow. um i've actually made movies where they wanted me to be doubled either as as a uh, I, once I played twins and they had to have someone else be the back of my head or whatever. So both my sisters have actually worked on movies with me, doubling for me. Um, and sometimes even my daughter, Katie, you know, has been doubling for me t as well. So, you know, when I have to be three places at once, I, I have uh, two sisters and a daughter that can help me out. <laughs> as, as we are, we're very close. Uh, my sister, Sally worked for the airlines uh, most of her life. Yes. And, um, She's a sun worshipper, so she's got much darker skin and, and dark, dark hair. And she's sort of a wonderful, lively character, very outgoing and social. And uh, Annie is um, brilliant and a wonderful mother. She's got three amazing kids. And they, two of them ended up being teachers and uh, great teachers. And one of them's ended up being a, um, an obstetrician gun course, same as my father. Yeah. And... Uh, we're all very close, you know. We all support one another in everything we do. When you were, as, as the oldest, as you were growing up, what was it that, um, 
Was it your adoration of, I don't know, live performance or theatre that made you wanted to go into the creative industries? What was that kind of inspiration from a very young age that made you want to go into acting? I, you know, I loved it from day one. I mean, my mother said she had to put me in dance classes for two reasons. One was because at, the first, at kindergarten, when we first went to school, I was told to go and stand on one side while everyone else got to stand on another side. And I thought, oh, I'm special. And it was because I had flat feet and a speech impediment. So um, <laughs> I had to come into school earlier and learn to walk on the outside of my feet, arch my feet that turned into ballet lessons, that turned into point classes, that turned into dancing with the Kirov at Covent Garden. So, you know, whenever anyone tells me I can't do something, it tends to be the thing I'm going to be best at. So that's what happened with the dance. And then um, the speech impediment was the, you know, the I couldn't pronounce the R, which of course in English, the way you and I speak it, the R is almost never mentioned nor never used. Um, and of course, in America, where I mostly play Americans, that's all they do is roll their eyes. So uh, that I, I remember very, very young, you know, the first little dance recital at school, just loving every minute of it. And um, my, my mother said I, I would dance in this tiny kitchen and, you know, pots and pans would go flying. So we uh, had a little narrow garden backing onto a, a railway line and we put the washing line up. That's for people who don't have dryers, okay? We used to hang our laundry up with little wooden pegs. We had a little apron with pegs in it. That's Trust me, that's what we did. And uh, we would turn that into a theater. So the, we, those would be our curtains. And uh, we wrote and performed our own plays and um, did ballets and musicals. And uh, my father uh, wrote a... Uh, pantomime about Cinderella and um, of course we don't have any sound on it but we still have that from when I was young wow oh my god yeah we, we we performed my sisters and I we all performed all the time well as I know from our time together I I loved seeing all the photos and pictures that you love to take so I'm so pleased that you've got documentation all the way back to uh, to your ballet lesson and, and uh, performances with your parents um, yes I've got to say I can't we can't do this podcast without talking about the incredible charity um, that you work so hard on and that you founded that in 2010. Um, and so that's yeah. now, now 10 years of incredibly important charitable work that you do. And you devote an enormous amount of time to that. What is it that gives you the drive for that uh, in particular? Because you do spend a lot of time for the, on the charitable organization. And I, I'm suspecting it's because you want to be able to give back. Right. Um, you know, I sort of touched on it, but my mother survived um, World War II in um, an internment camp in Indonesia. She was Dutch and she was living in the Dutch East Indies. So um, by the time I was born, you know, very much her mantra in life was that everyone in life would have challenges and that um, however hard you think it's something is for you, if you can accept how hard that is, open your heart and reach out to help someone else, it won't be very hard to find someone far worse off than you. And that by helping someone else, you would help yourself and you would be able to heal and move forward and move on with your life. And, you know, giving and helping other people gave to you. So that was just a way of living. So um, I call it open-hearted. And so I started this thing called the Open Heart Foundation where we really were encouraging and helping and... um, um, curating 
for people who want to give back, whether it's financially or in volunteer opportunities or in fundraising or, you know, what, really creating that, um, that way of, of being and way of living. And, um, and I've been doing that. We, we raised money until COVID. We, we would have a big event every year and um, the money would then be dispersed to usually about three different charities. Now, since COVID, I think we've got like 20 different charities. We've, wow. we've been um, um, doing micro donations too, but each time it's for something very specific that they specifically need now. And each one of the organizations um, has more difficulty now because of COVID. Um, we tended to, to stick uh, recently to uh, women and children's issues because we felt that was like by far the best investment because women invariably are taking care of everyone anyway and they seem <laughs> to know what to do. And, uh, and a, a lot of women have been abused. who have had to run away with their children and need safe places to go. And um, especially, you know, with the pandemic and with everything that's been going on. And so... Um, and then my daughter, Katie, who's 38, came up with the concept of the open, the Young Hearts app. So we, um, we are building a, an app that will, rather like a dating app, it will match uh, organizations that need volunteers with volunteers with special skills that want to volunteer to specific, in either specific areas or online or, or you know, have legal knowledge or uh, teachers or uh, mothers or, uh, you know, wh whatever it is, coaches. I mean, so it, it, it aligns people, aligns with the algorithms. And that's a big thing that we've been, very exciting thing we've been working on. And uh, hopefully it'll be out soon. And, and my dream and her dream is that we have this uh, connecting organizations and volunteers globally. That's incredible. Do you know when that was, is going to be launched? Because I know that you've taken quite a strong um, um, yeah. in, in assisting that. Yes, well, you know, we uh, we've gotten to through stage two. We're uh, building the algorithm, putting it together. We're uh, now getting um, the the right team to bring it up to market. Is that going to be um, in the UK or the US? We're starting out in the US, um, and uh, hopefully, if it works well, you know, it's it's an app. So. Um, all you have to do is is input it with the right people in both sides, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we have, uh, you know, we've heard from people all over the world saying they want to do this. I mean, I've got organizations in already in um, in Thailand um, and um, in England and you know places that really want to do this. So once we get it up and going, uh, I shall let you know. But Definitely. you know, my daughter is right. The younger generation want to make a difference they get out in the streets they are using their their voices and their enthusiasm and they are not being apathetic they're getting out and trying to make a difference and so this is really to support that and make it easier and quicker for them to find where when and what rather than spending forever searching on the internet and not knowing how to go about it well, that's really exciting. I mean, that, that's, that's great to have something to look forward to, I hope, in 2021. Uh, it, uh, hopefully with COVID, fingers crossed anyway, with the vaccine coming and looking forward to that for your charity. But professionally, what, what, what can we look forward to in 2021 from Jane? Um, well, the Ruby's Choice will come out. Um, more glow and darkness, of course. Um, <laughs> I'm actually doing a 
wonderful series in Europe, but it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't really tell you. But I will be um, in Europe for four months next year, starring in my very own eight-part series. Delighted to hear that. Which um, will be shown all over the world. So I, I, I'm not really allowed to tell you what it is yet, but I'm very excited about it. It's been postponed, obviously, this year because of yeah. COVID. But um, yeah, and I don't know what else. They're actually, I keep reading that they're going to make a wedding crashes too and a, and a yes. war with grandpa too. So who knows? That would be fun. <laughs> that, that would be fun. And now those are both films that I would happily get behind. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jane, I, as I come to the end of the podcast, I asked uh, the same two questions to all of my guests at the end. Uh, the first one being, what piece of advice would you give to somebody breaking into the creative industries? Um, you've got to love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, because, and you have to be able to uh, handle rejection. And also you have to realize that you might have to do at least one other, if not several other jobs, just to be able to have the privilege of being in that world. It, it's, it's very difficult. It's highly competitive. It takes an enormous amount of time and energy. There is nothing normal or regular or safe about it. Um, it's, um, I mean, I love it, but, you know, for a lot of people, that they want something that they can count on that's, you know, going to give them a, a lot of stability i would say that this is not that correct <laughs> i think you're probably right there but um, i would say my advice would be if you really want to do it create your own material 100 so percent. if you're a more. singer or a musician write your own material if you're an actor or an actress you know try to create your own material if you're a comedian you obviously mostly do um so i would say uh, come from what you know Definitely. Before I ask the last question, are you taking your hand to any more writing soon? Um, I am attempting to remember what happened in my life right now. So I have been using uh, COVID to work with one of my kids in going through all the memorabilia I've got and finding all these old videos and tapes and interviews and things. And uh, I'm, I'm going to attempt to do some form of autobiography. So now that I think sounds that's wonderful. Next. Wonderful. Yeah. That's a very, very good use of time and always useful yeah. to have a kid helping you out. <laughs> you know what? It's so wonderful because they had no idea. They didn't know who I was. I mean, Chris, who's been working with me, looked, he said, mom, you're IMDb. He said, he told me the other day that just to buy the movies that I don't have in the house that I've been in was going to cost a huge amount of money. He said, do you want to spend that money on all those movies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jane, the final question that I ask everybody is, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Um, I think it means just, you know, daring. Daring, daring to try something. Um, uh, following, following your you know, your, your ideas and um, daring to make it happen. I love it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for all your time, Jane. It's been so, You're so welcome. lovely to speak to you and see you again. Um, okay. I hope you have a lovely time um, out in, in home, out, in, out in the, on the West Coast. And I hope it stays warm, I say, through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it is spectacular. It was 85 degrees two days ago. I couldn't open my car door. It was so hot. I thought, that's, 
insane. It's well, that's, crazy. That's it's November, yeah. and I, I needed I needed gloves and an ice pack afterwards because it's just my my fingers were burning on the chrome. Like, really? <laughs> oh, I do. I do pity you. <laughs> oh, Jane, thank you so much. It's been lovely, lovely to talk. You're to welcome. You. And that is it for this episode of Headstrong. I just wanted to say a huge, huge thank you to my lovely friend, Jane Seymour, for coming on to Headstrong. It was so lovely to get to see her and chat while she was all the way in America and I was over here in the UK. It was so lovely to get to see her on Zoom and have a nice catch up and ask her some questions that I forgot to ask her whilst filming Glow and Darkness. Of course, thank you so much to you, the listener, for tuning in and having a listen to me and Jane have a lovely chat. I've got some brilliant guests lined up for the rest of this Series 4. I hope you stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And please do rate it and leave a review if you do have the chance. But for now, that's it from me this week. I hope to see you again next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 